Welcome to another episode of Conduct Detrimental, Dan Lost, Dan Wallach. Uh, we have an interesting docket today. We're going to talk uh, about two stories that we've covered in the past on the show, both Washington-centered. That's where the sports law universe tends to be focused on. Brian Davis, Dan, you covered this with Jason Moore about a week or so ago. That's the guy that claimed to have $7 billion. There was a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. He was using that pot of gold, but is that his pot of gold? Does it belong to someone else? Uh, we certainly have an update in his lawsuit against Bank of America. And then we have a guest today, Martin McCauley, the, I guess, I don't know if trademark squatter is a legal term, but he's the guy people know as the one that has been grabbing up a lot of these Washington-based team names. He's going to join us about his history uh, and his plans with the with the name. And then, uh, you know, we'll, we'll kind of go around uh, the Sports Law University, see what we can pick up at the end. And I, I imagine it's going to be a sports betting story on your radar that I've been seeing you you tweet about. But Dan, let's let's start in the world of uh, Washington. Dan, you've really been on the sense, uh, scent of this particular story. You've been quoted by a number of outlets uh, for your Brian Davis coverage. Do you want to kind of fill people in on the latest and, and where you're, I think, I think you've sniffed this out since the beginning, but um, I'll let you no, take the floor. I, I, I wouldn't give, I wouldn't give uh, Daniel Waller too much credit for that because the life cycle of the entire Brian Davis litigation only lasted about 12 days. It was almost like an Allie McBeal episode. Do you remember Allie McBeal? I do, the uh, lawyer. Yeah. Late 1990s. I, th- I, I think I think this barely lasted longer than an Allie McBeal episode. He, he, he wanted to get in. I don't know if he wanted to get in on the bidding for the commanders, whether he really had any money, but he filed this lawsuit, you know, 12 days ago. Breach, it was a replevin and a conversion action against Bank of America because, he, you know, he presented supposedly reportedly presented a, a bank draft in the amount of $5.1 billion to Bank of America, wanted that wanted those funds on deposit so that he could be in the bidding for the commanders. There was only one problem. The commanders did not accept the deposit. They closed his accounts. And we did a little bit of digging, or actually I did a little bit of digging, and I looked at the signature line on the bank draft, and it belonged to a person who's been dead for 50 years, and the signatory on this bank draft is an administrator for the estate of Severino Garcia Santa Romana, who has this story that dates all the way back to World War II. He was a a Filipino-American commando who was a CIA operative. It's just a crazy story, and it raises questions as to whether the funds were ever in existence, whether the bank drafts are legit, whether the you know entire transaction is legit and Bank of America raised questions about the legitimacy of the of, of the banking documents at last Friday's oral argument or last Friday's status conference. And the judge gave the parties one week to provide the court with a status update. And this was after the court had already expressed reservations and 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 was skeptical about the strength of of Davis's company's lawsuit. And yesterday. I don't know when this is this podcast is going to be, you know, uh, released, but on Wednesday, Brian Davis voluntarily withdrew his lawsuit without prejudice, but he did it two days before Bank of America and Brian Davis were supposed to file a joint status report. So he the, the writing was on the wall. He realized the bank is raising all these questions about the legitimacy of the funds, the the, dra- the bank draft. The court is skeptical about my claims. And I think he cut bait on the case, realizing he wasn't going to win. And the longer he stayed in the game, he might invite the type of scrutiny that would uh, lead to 
potential repercussions down the road because you know once there's discovery and you know depositions under oath and and, and there's a public aspect to this more and more questions inevitably inevitably get raised so the case was withdrawn the controversy is over and the washington region the capital district no longer has to worry about the prospect of ryan davis derailing the josh harris bid to purchase the washington commanders it was a uh, it was a pipe dream from the beginning but a lot of people took the lawsuit seriously and i think the turning point at least for me was when you look at the name on the bank draft it raises all the red flags because this isn't a person who is, who's even alive it's a dead person from the philippines and 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 that alone should have created a suspicion in the lawyer's mind and led to the case not even being filed so it's gone now and and the brian davis story at least with respect to this lawsuit has reached its conclusion so my my question dan and and uh i i guess well, I'll see where you where, where your mind goes with this. If I see a lawsuit filed and then voluntarily withdrawn within two weeks of its filing, um, I'm going to raise some questions about the due diligence that was done by the lawyer in terms of taking this case. Um, Dan, last I checked your tweets, as of I guess we're recording this on on Thursday. I, I don't believe Bank of America had jointly agreed to uh, to stipulate to discontinue the case. That Bank of America is still hanging around. Dan, do you expect here to be some motion for costs or sanctions against this lawyer? Is that in the cards? No, I don't think so, because under the federal rules of civil procedure, under Rule 41A, I believe it is, uh, prior to the time the defendant has answered the complaint or filed a motion for summary judgment, there's a mechanism for being able to voluntarily with, withdraw or file a notice of voluntary dismissal without any repercussions. So I don't think there's anything additional that Bank of America... Uh, has to say in open court on the matter, because had they answered the complaint or had that been pending motion practice, it wouldn't be so easy for Brian Davis's uh, corporate entity, Urban Echo, to voluntarily withdraw the case. Uh, it would have needed a stipulation of settlement or a stipulation of, of dismissal signed by both parties to the lawsuit. And even if Bank of America wanted to weigh in here, they had a limited window of opportunity between uh, Davis's filing of the notice of voluntary dismissal and the court's paperless order approving the notice of voluntary dismissal and directing the clerk of the court to close the case. So, uh, so if Bank of America has anything to say to keep this matter alive, whether it's to seek sanctions or bring some matter to the court's attention, the I, I, I think the, the window of opportunity, if it hasn't closed already, has very limited time left, like maybe within one business day. Uh, I think to the extent BOA has any desire for further investigation, I think this is not a matter for the court system. It's a matter for potential referral to banking regulators, law enforcement authorities. I think there may be channels that Bank of America may wish to pursue if they believe that these banking documents are not legitimate, they don't need to air the dirty laundry, so to speak, in a federal court lawsuit. That's only a civil action. Maybe I'm saying the obvious, but that's probably why this case was voluntarily discontinued oh, so yeah. quickly. But here's but here's the thing: if you're if you're Bank of America, right? And I at a at a prior firm, I did some work for Bank of America on the I think it was like a check fraud case, something like that. Well, I guess it's not that dissimilar to what, to what we have here. I mean, there were legal fees spent 
on this case. The fact that they can't now uh, go after those fees. I mean, even but, even but if it answers. They, they didn't file anything. All, the Bank of America's yeah, but, participation in the case was limited to filing a notice of appearance and showing up for a 15 minute uh, telephone call on, on a virtual status conference. So the total billable hours, at least with respect to the actual time spent on the court matter, uh, probably limited to like a couple thousand dollars at best. But here's the question that I have. Uh, a week ago during the status conference, Brian Davis's attorney, uh, Jeffrey Martin, suggested that the parties would be working on some kind of a negotiated resolution because ultimately Davis wants to get the, the, the unstamped bank drafts back in his possession. What he would do with those bank drafts, I don't know, but they, they seemed or his attorney seemed interested in recovering the drafts. And if that was part of a negotiated resolution, you would see a, a, some evidence of that in the form of a stipulation of dismissal. There would be some joint document filed by the parties. Instead, uh, rather than do that or, or provide a joint status report updating the court as to the status of the case, uh, Dave, Davis's attorney just simply pulled the plug and dismissed all his claims without prejudice, including the claim for the return of the bank drafts. So that suggests to me that maybe Bank of America is willing or, or has already returned the bank drafts to Davis that, that are unstamped, or Davis's, Davis's attorney just decided to abandon that claim. So the question is, what, what comes of these bank drafts? Do they remain with Bank of America? Do they get forwarded on to the appropriate uh, regulatory or law enforcement authority, yeah. or is it simply returned to the possession of one Brian Davis, never to be seen again? And no, and no one to ask any further questions about how he how he got access to these these yeah. drafts of these pot of gold. And, uh, and, and and what becomes of the estate of uh, Severino Garcia Santa Romano? My, There's a my story dad. there. My dad uh, was asking me, I, he heard me, I, I did a, I did one or two radio hits on it. He's like, does this have this person related to Luis Severino? And I'm like, no, this has no connection to this person. Um, yeah, Dan, I, I think it's a fascinating story. And I, again, he's won about as many games. I, I got to tell you, he's won about as many games as Luis Severino, uh, who's been inactive largely for the past couple of years. So why not, yeah. why not trot him out there in the Yankees rotation? You, you, you couldn't do any worse with Severino's. Um, so, you know, Dan, I, I, uh, I do this every time, you know, you and I get together when there's a story that you're, you or I are at the heart of. Uh, Dan, I, I think part of this voluntarily discontinuance, voluntary discontinuance, I think in part has to do with your coverage of the case that, and obviously, uh, uh, you know, uh, they got picked up, I think, by Pro Football Talk and elsewhere. So, uh, Dan, that's when our, our little uh, nexus are over here, a little corner of sports law. Make some uh, bigger rounds, but Dan, I'm ready to move on from. Uh, oh, Jason Warren broke the story. By the way, let's give Jason all hey, the credit Jason, for. Jason did, of course, of course, that's yeah. fair. But he launched but, conduct detrimental into the uh, conversation around the story, and I think I just kept with it. And what, for me, what, for me, the catalyst for my curiosity was the name on that bank draft. And when I did the research and it led me down this road to the Philippines in World War II, I just became obsessed with finding out how on earth a lawyer could have allowed a lawsuit like this to be filed when, you know, and, and you asked me the question earlier, what obligations does the attorney have? And, and he did something very smart here, realizing that this could be viewed as a sort of a whopper of a tale. He had Brian Davis 
uh, fill out a verified statement, uh, you know, almost making the complaint the equivalent of a verified complaint where Davis, um, you know, swore to the accuracy or at least laid out all the facts and signed his name to a declaration. So it almost offloaded responsibility entirely to Brian Davis, but the, but the lawyer's obligation does not end with a verified statement. I think there is some duty of inquiry, some duty of investigation. And when you see the signature line on that bank draft, you know, for, for the prospective purchase of an NFL team, uh, bear the signature of an administrator of an estate from the Philippines, I think that should raise enough questions to further investigate this issue and corroborate the legitimacy of these funds before filing a lawsuit. Speak to the estate's representative, speak to Citibank, speak to the company which bonded the bank draft. So the attorney had multiple avenues available in which he could have confirmed uh, you know, the legitimacy of, the, of these banking funds, either by contacting Citibank, contacting the company which bonded the bank draft, speaking to a representative of the estate of Severino Garcia Santa Ramana. So it, it wasn't enough, in my view, to just simply accept your client's representation on a verified statement submitted to the court. The lawyer also has a duty of inquiry. And I think the lawyer in this case may have been motivated to bail before potentially facing uh, motions for rule, of, rule 11 sanctions down the road. So the lawyer may have been equally motivated to get out of this case. That, that was my uh, understanding of it as well with respect to timing. When you have a lawsuit started and stopped that quickly, you certainly have to ask that question. Okay, Dan, let's move, let's move on from Brian Davis. Let's move over to another Washington story and our guest today. Martin McCauley, he is a Virginia-based actuary. Uh, in addition to being uh, an actuary, he is in the headlines uh, with respect to Washington uh, NFL team, Washington Commanders, Washington Redskins once again, because he has seemingly pegged uh, the name. So, um, you know, back July 2020, Dan, one of our first episodes we did together, people can kind of go in the archives if they want to find it. I think it was right around July 2020. Um, Mr. McCauley made headlines for registering a number of team names, be it the Washington Federals, the Washington Potomacs, uh, Washington Red Tails, Red Hawks, you name it. This guy has gone to the USPTO's office and he's registered it. So this was at a time back in July 2020 when we didn't know what the Washington name was going to be. At one point, it was the Washington Redskins. We'll talk about it a little bit in our interview with him. But the uh, USPTO's office had declared the name Washington Redskins to be so offensive, more offensive than some other terms that I'm not going to say on this particular podcast. But um, that name lost protection. So there was a very famous South Park episode about it. And right around then, 2015, um, Mr. McCauley then goes out and he starts registering a lot of names. So wouldn't you know, by July 2020, Washington says we are retiring the name Redskins and we're going to be in the market for a new name. But at that point, Mr. McCauley already had basically every name in the entire market. So uh, they end up picking a name Washington Commanders. Uh, they tell everybody there's no issue with the trademark as of February 2022. And wouldn't you know, Dan, we are now in June of 2023. And the USPTO's office is telling us, hey, there's a problem. Someone else registered its name, Washington Space Commanders, Washington Wolf Commanders. They did it before you did. And wouldn't you know, it's Martin McCauley. So he's back in the news. And uh, we thought it best to reach out to him and go straight to the source. Dan, um, you know, and, and we should also mention, uh, Mr. McCauley's got a book out called Trademark Hog that kind of tells the story about what he's doing, um, which I think is a fascinating story. So uh, we, we vetted him a little bit. We thought we'd have him on. Um, Dan, what are, what are your thoughts on McCauley before we kick to our interview uh, with Martin himself? Well, I mean, you know, uh, not shockingly, he's the first actuary that we've ever interviewed on Conduct Detrimental. And 
I'm not sure that we're going to have too many actuaries in the future. So let's savor the moment. I'm also curious whether he trademarked the name Trademark Hog. Uh, that's that's for another issue. But it's funny how he comes back into the story when he disappeared for a couple of years. And, you know, he's part of the reason why the commander's uh, name was rejected by the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office. While there may be avenues to successfully appeal this, this may be an inflection point for the commander's future you know, management team, future ownership to maybe do another rebranding. I'm of the belief that if you want to erase any vestiges of Dan Snyder around the organization, you don't just have to, you don't just clean a house administratively, management, uh, team president, public relations. I think all of this is sort of the fruit, the, the name itself traces back to the teams and Snyder's refusal, ridiculous refusal to back off the Washington Redskins name. And ultimately it led to a WFT, the commanders. And I think if you want to, if you want to sanitize that franchise and eliminate any traces of Dan Snyder, you got to get rid of the commander's name too. If it was a great name, maybe you could make a case for keeping it, but it is very plain vanilla. Uh, it doesn't have the, you know, the, the power of some of the other names that have been chosen around the NFL. And I think this is an opportunity and an excuse potentially for the new ownership group to consider a rebranding and maybe and, and maybe hit the, uh, you know, hit, hit, hit the uh, do over button and try to come up with the name that makes the most sense and not worry about paying off trademark squatters or whether some university like Arkansas State possesses the right to Red Wolves. I think a team or, or 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 the franchise, if the franchise wants a name badly enough, they should choose the one that's the best name and just pay whatever the price is because you've already paid six point zero five billion dollars just to buy the team, paying another few million dollars, five million dollars to just buy the rights to use the name. I think is a worthwhile investment because nobody is comfortable or liking the commander's name i think this is all the fruit of the you know the the name is the fruit of the poisonous tree it all traces back to the washington redskins and i don't think you could disassociate the commanders from dan snyder i think you need to change the name so yeah i mean we'll get into it with martin uh dan you and i had a lot of questions that i think for the most part he answered all of them maybe maybe not to your nice Maybe our, our, we're our gut instinct, Wayne, but, uh, you know, uh, it's a good conversation with Martin, so we'll let it stand for itself. Um, with that said, a reminder, our podcast sponsored by Themis Bar Review, top bar prep company in the galaxy. We are in June. Bar prep is starting. If for whatever reason you are not using Themis or you're like, oh, I can't wait to deal, uh, you know, with uh, the bar, or maybe I'm avoiding dealing with the bar next year. This is your time to th start thinking about Themis. Um, and, yeah, if you want to use our special discount code, just reach out to us. We will reach out to Themis. And uh, we'll see how much we can hook you up with a discount code. But uh, you guys know where to find us on socials. Okay. With that being said, let us kick it over to Martin McCauley. Martin McCauley, the Martin McCauley. Uh, welcome to Connect Detrimental. You are somewhat of a legend in, in our parts, but a pleasure to have you on the podcast. How are you? Fine. How are you? Thanks for having me. We have been on the uh, Martin McCauley bandwagon since July of 2020. We had a podcast with a lawyer that you retained, Darren Heitner, to talk about you. But I, had I known that you were available, we would have gone right to the source three years ago. So um, we wanted to, uh, you know, and, and Dan and I have a number of questions ready. But, um, you know, I, I uh, as, as our listeners know, I teach a sports law class. I bring you up every semester. You've made it onto my final exam each of the last couple of years. 
Um, so I wanted uh, to, to kind of, you know, separate fact from fiction and, and talk about really how you got involved in this weird kind of sports trademark world. Um, so you tell us, how, how did how did this all come to be? I know uh, you have a book, which we're going to talk about trademark hog, but um, without bearing the lead, uh, maybe you can tell us how how you developed this very unique hobby of registering potential Washington NFL team names. Sure. Thanks for having me on. I started this hobby in 2014 before they said they're going to change the name at a time when they said they will never change the name. I submitted some applications to the trademark office for what I thought were joke names. I don't, I don't expect everybody to share my sense of humor. I applied for a trademark for Washington pigskins coffee cups. And if you have to explain why something is humorous, the person who needs the explanation is not going to get it anyway. The Washington pigskins coffee cups are funny because pigskins sounds like the former team name. Uh, football is called a pigskin, and the offensive line was called the Hogs. Right. So I, I thought, okay, here are three ways people could dig into this and find humor in it. I, I also so, saw one you did, uh, Almond Blossom Roasted Nuts. That was you as well? <laughs> no, I, I, I get a lot of credit for ones that were not mine. <laughs> yeah. It's it's a, well, we should we should mention, right, um, Martin? You're not you're not an attorney, right? You're you're an actuary. Yes, I've been an actuary for forty years. And you're based in you're based in in Virginia still, or, or in the D.C. area? I'm not. They they say in different ways that where you're based. I work in uh, Alexander, Virginia. I moved so, to Virginia in uh, two thousand and nine. So, so you mentioned this era of Washington football, where the name we're not changing the name. The USPTO says it's offensive, and, and I'm. You know, you, you kind of go into this in, in your book, at least the, the portions that are available online, about this interesting story. And you say you developed this habit trying to get ahead of the name change. Martin, where, where I'm curious, and I know Dan probably has a similar question, is like, this is not a free hobby. This is not like a, you know, a hobby where one maybe bets on sports and makes a little bit of profit. This is very much a long game. So when you're when you're uh, buying up these trademarks, you're buying up the virtual real estate space that is. Washington team names, be it humorous or maybe legitimate, because you end up getting some some big names, be it the Red Tails or the Warhogs or the Washington Potomacs. Um, we went we went through your list. How, how are you funding this? Is it all just out of the out of your own pocket? Is there some other way to, to do this? That you know, I just I've always found that part to be pretty fascinating. Well, it's a hobby and it's an outside activity that had to be approved by my employer's legal counsel. So I, I got permission before I started this to sell merchandise online. I already had a hobby of selling merchandise online, mostly books. And then I expanded it to include uh, shirts and hats and coffee cups for fictional team names. So I see this is all one outside activity. It's all related to selling retail merchandise online. So I just expanded my my line of business beyond selling just books online to sell shirts and hats and coffee cups online and the uh the cash flow from the sales pay for any fees so uh, it's all the revenue is most of the revenue is profit after all expenses including sales expenses and merchandise and any government form filing fees i still make a profit how easy is it, Martin, to file a trademark? You filed, you know, dozens of these. I imagine it's not very labor intensive. 
or very expensive. Can you walk us through, you know, sort of, you know, the, how easy it is to get to apply, at least to apply for a trademark and, and, and the cost associated with it? And how much have you spent in your, you know, your, your journey to sort of gather up all these Washington football type names? Well, like you said, I'm an amateur, so they make it uh, easy for an amateur to go on and do these filings. I just go on the USPTO website and I have an account and I do a search in the USPTO test to see if anybody's already got a trademark in the uh, area where I want to get one. And then I just fill out the online form. I can do it so fast. It just takes me a few minutes. I guess most people would probably need an attorney. Attorney, I would not recommend that anybody uh, do this without an attorney. I just, I have some skills that I think make it easier for me to do. The, the cost is something that um, I just see this as like an expense related to my hobby. And since it's a hobby, I don't even think I can get a tax deduction for it. So for tax purposes, this makes money because I declare all my revenue as, as uh, income. And I don't think I can take a tax deduction for something that's related to a hobby. So it's, it's profitable for cash flow, for tax, any, any way to look at it. I'm, I'm making money at my hobby uh, concerning my hobby is selling books and, and shirts and 99% of the revenue comes from selling books. I do, I have sold about $5,000 worth of merchandise for fictional team names, uh, but that line of business is not profitable. The profitable part is the uh, the book sales. All right, Martin, let's uh, get to the you know story of the hour. You know, you were in the news very heavily three years ago when the team, the Washington team, was contemplating its last sequence of name changes. Well, last week, the, the name that was so ultimately selected, the Commanders, ran up into some resistance in the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office, the USPTO, denied the Washington football team's application to trademark the commander's name in part because of some you know trademarks that you had previously secured that you know contain the name commanders like wolf commanders space commanders uh putting aside how you have even envisioned or thought of names like that how willing are you right now to to negotiate with the team to to get around this hurdle of this trademark, you know, ruling and to, to either have the team use the name, the commanders, get it trademarked or choose some other name. What's your, what's your stance on this issue right now? Are you an obstacle to the accomplishment of this goal or are you willing to talk to them? I'm not an obstacle. They already have an offer to uh, use one of my trademarks and all they have to do is contact my attorney, Darren Heitner. And I've requested that they make a contribution to charity I don't need any money for myself. The request was that they make a contribution to fund Native American scholarships. How, I, do you have a price or a contribution amount in mind? The amount that I asked before, which they declined, was a $10,000 contribution to fund Native American scholarships. Have you been in touch? Have you been in touch with any of the prospective new ownership groups, whether they be Josh Harris uh, I'm not going to say Brian Davis, but have you been in touch with anybody who is interested in the bidding for the Washington Commanders? Because obviously right now the team is in a transition period. We don't know when the new ownership group 
will be confirmed or even whether there will be a new ownership group. So what steps have you taken to sort of update your conversations with the team or, or the group of prospective bidders for the team? I did get contacted by a celebrity affiliated with a potential buyer. I don't want to go into the details, but it would be somebody, everybody would recognize their name easily to verify it was actually them. A celebrity, not in the sports industry, and not, not an athlete, but somebody people would recognize. I really, they didn't say I could go into disclosing a lot about the conversations. I don't know if they are affiliated with, with mm -hmm. the buyers who are going to prevail, but they did ask me about one of my trademarks and I told them you have the same deal that the outgoing owners have and you can uh, use my trademarks in exchange for a contribution to charity, Native American scholarships. The amount I asked, to, I asked was uh, $10,000. I said, that's negotiable. Uh, the previous outgoing owner did not want to take me up on that. So I just let them have the trademark for Washington Football Club anyway at no charge. Uh, the celebrity I talked to was not surprised that that was the reaction of the outgoing owner. I, I kind of have a, and, and I think maybe you expect this question to come and we, uh, we addressed it in a recent podcast, but, and, and if you can comment on it, I think that would be very helpful. Um, so the commanders kind of announced this new name in February of 2022, that they want to be in the, the Washington commanders. So I'm looking at your Space Commanders, Washington Space Commanders and Washington Wolf Commanders um, marks on the USPTO website. So the filing date with respect to those two names on the United States Patent and Trademark Office, August 21st, 2021. So you beat, and I, I know where I think I'm, I'm going with this, but you beat the Washington Commanders to file at the USPTO's office. Their filing date is also February of 2022. You beat them by a couple months. Now, the tricky part uh, is where friend of the show, Josh Gerben comes in. Uh, you know, reportedly that the Washington Commander's trademark itself was actually filed on August 6th in Trinidad and Tobago. So according to the Paris Convention, you have a basically a six-month look-back window. So, you know, if we're keeping score here, you beat them to the U.S. PTO's office, but they beat you to the first filing, which occurred on August 6th uh, in Trinidad and Tobago. And, and I think they're timely under the Paris Convention. So the USPTO kind of uh, issues this non-final, uh, you know, opinion that we're denying the Washington NFL commanders their mark because you beat them to the patent and trademark office. Um, but do you still think that they that you're kind of first in time, even though they they beat you to the Trinidad and Tobago office? How does how does that factor into the analysis? They beat me fair and square. My applications for Washington Space Commanders and Washington Wolf Commanders are suspended because of their earlier filings and. Trinidad and Tobago. So uh, I am not going to get those uh, registered. They're, they were in use. I did sell about 30 shirts, uh, not a big seller. My other shirts outsold them tenfold. A lot more fans want to buy Washington Wolves or any Wolf variant. I sold more Washington Panda shirts than I sold <laughs> Washington Commander shirts. I'm very, I'm very impressed at your ability to sell 30 shirts for Washington Space Commanders. You sold 30 shirts. That's that's it. Combine Wolf Commanders and Space Commanders. I think Space Commanders would be good. And I, when they were talking about Commanders, when everybody wanted Wolves, I just wondered what could that possibly be? What what kind of mascot are they talking about? So I, I thought, okay, well, there's Space Command. Maybe that's what they mean. You know, Space Commanders. 
I, I could see that. I would buy a Space Commander's shirt. Um, I guess a related question. And, and uh, I, I mean, so nobody knows about the Trinidad and, and Tobago filing by the commanders until February. Nobody, nobody thinks about it. So they make this filing in August of 2021. You within, maybe it was coincidental, I have no, no concept, but within a couple days of that Trinidad and Tobago filing, you've guessed it. You've guessed the name Washington Commanders. Obviously, there's a word in the middle, be it space or wolf commanders. But how did how did you come up with that name? How did you know? Do you have inside sourcing to HQ or, or are you just just good timing? I'll just call it intuition. And I could say I can predict the future. That, I know some people are skeptical of somebody who can really do that. But like Reggie Jackson said, are you are you bragging if you can back it up? It's like uh, how much proof do I have to provide that? Yeah, I predicted this. So I'll just, I'll just say it's intuition. I have one more and then I'll see, we'll see what Dan, Dan wants to add here. But I, I think, you know, when we covered this in a previous show and I've been pretty you know transparent about it, to the extent that, that you can be a thorn in the Washington commander's side, and, and you have been in the past, I know back in 2020, you kind of offered to give away the marks for free, um, that you'd go away, but you just, you know, you want to have a conversation with them. And now kind of similarly, not exactly the same, you want them to make a donation to, to charity. Um, on this show, we spent a lot of time, you know, I think it was about two years ago at this point, uh, on the Cleveland Guardians roller derby saga. And, you know, that the, the roller derby team had the name first. They put it into commerce first. They chose not to go away quietly, filed a federal lawsuit and said that you are uh, infringing on our market. And, I, you know, we're not here to talk, at least for this episode, to talk about whether that was a strong suit or a weak suit. It was a question about first to file versus first to use. Um, some issues in there. Now, you know, certainly, right, you, you can be a thorn in, in the Washington commander's side. USPTO's office seemingly signaling that, that if you want to be Martin, it's not a it's not a frivolous case that you you did at least file first in the USPTO. Again, we can talk about the the, the kind of uh, leverage points that you might have, but is there a reason why why you aren't using this opportunity to to turn a buck, right? Why you're always uh, Why well, you seem to be using, you know, uh, your book sales and whatnot to pay for this trademarks. The trademarks might be able to pay for themselves in the right scenario, right? So whether it's your Reggie Jackson's ability to to call what the name was going to be, why aren't you using this opportunity to to profit personally, which others certainly have before you? Well, yeah, a lot of people would wonder why don't I just try to profit from it? I guess that's just not my motive. I'd rather just avoid the confrontation and just make my trivial, meager amount of money on book royalties and figure that covers it. And just, just to show people, nonetheless, that you were the first to come to the name. I mean, if that's the goal, uh, certainly the reason that you're on this podcast is your ability to predict names. So, uh, I mean, uh, I think a fair question to ask, but, you know, it's not too late. And they, USPTO hasn't made their decision yet. I don't think the commanders have filed a response yet, right? They did file a response to one that list Washington Americans as a likelihood of confusion. So I think that's probably the bigger obstacle for them rather than Washington Space Commanders or Washington Wolf Commanders. Because Washington Americans has uh, section eight and 15 acknowledgements. So I, I have a, a trademark for Washington Americans for providing a website with information related to the sport of football section 041. So the USPTO found that's a conflict with Washington Commanders section 041 for football. And they, mm -hmm. uh, that was a finding uh, 
six months ago and the response was last week and football team said, no, you shouldn't, uh, shouldn't uh, block ours because of Washington Americans. There's not really enough of a confusion there. And I, I agree there's not much of a confusion there. I would disagree with any implication that I'm not using that trademark. I've been using it continuously for over 10 years, and I'm pretty sure they are aware I've been using it for 10 years because of the 130,000 hits to that website, more come from Ashburn, Virginia than anywhere else, their headquarters. Yeah, Martin, you've uh, pretty much blanketed the field and trying to select possible names. Yeah, I wouldn't say you're you're great at predicting. You're great at basically. Um, uh, uh, He's a high volume shooter. High volume you're, shooter. You're, you're you're really skilled at removing possibilities from the public, you know, domain and leaving very little in the remainder. So the question I have for you before we we go. You don't have to reveal the answer, but are there good names that are still out there that have yet to be trademarked with, with you know, that that are linked to the Washington football team, uh, the Federals, the Generals, the Sentinels? I mean, are they all gone or are you sitting on a couple of good possibilities? Well, I, I like Washington Pandas or Washington Red Pandas has not been trademarked. That would be a good one. I, I like uh, Washington mud dragons um, and it has not been trademarked and I think there there is kind of a loose connection uh, because their defensive coordinator Jack Del Rio has said that the restroom facilities at FedEx are in a condition that he does not like to use the restroom facilities to defecate he would rather go off-site to defecate, which he described as dropping a mud dragon. <laughs> so I just thought, you know, bingo, Eureka, Washington mud dragons right there. I don't think that's ever going to enter the lexicon of the Washington football teams. It's not going to get edited out of this name. It's not going to get edited out of this podcast either. That will will remain. Listen, if if anyone has an opinion on this, it should be you. You've had a lot of time to marinate over possible names Let's assume that the new owners want to rebrand and, and and walk back the commander's name. Give me your top three choices for what you think the name should be and your reasoning for each one. And I'm assuming you're going to own all three, but let me hear it. Okay, well, the first choice is Washington Wolves because it supports wildlife. The franchise quarterback's name is Howell, so they could howl every time he's in. And fans could dress up as, as wolves. There are just so many things going for it. Just and wolves, if, not red wolves, just wolves. Just plain wolves. Okay. And then if uh, there's some trademark issues with just plain wolves, then I think they should be the Washington football wolves, just like the Giants or the football Giants. And even if that's not specific enough, there are enough variations on wolves, like shape-shifting wolves they could get shape-shifting wolves trademarked and everyone would just call them the wolves. Okay. What do you think of the name Federals? That has always uh, been appealing to me as if, if, I, if I were you know, a, a fan of the team, even if I'm just looking at it from a distance, I like the name Federals. Does that have any particular appeal or that doesn't have a shot? 
the USFL has expressed interest in the in the name Federals to bring back a USFL team. And somebody did contact Darren about that. And I said, yeah, they can use it for free. And uh, they said, okay, if they wanted it, they'd need something a little more formal. So I, I don't know the status of that. I don't know if it was mm -hmm. just somebody really uh, interested for the purposes of a team or if it was just somebody making a film that would have needed some kind of uh, trademark related to the Washington Federals. But I've already said they can use Federals and didn't ask for any compensation. So I, I, I think they kind of already did. Mm -hmm. Same way with Renegades. I thought Washington Renegades was a good name. I, I did let the uh, XFL know that they could use Renegades. They did use Renegades for Dallas. It's got the Arlington Renegades. And they did acknowledge my offer. They made me top fan on, on Facebook. Uh, I never got that kind of uh, recognition from from the commanders, although that I did get a, a letter from the NFL saying that they don't have any concerns with me uh, using, they don't have any concerns with my trademark activity as long as I don't uh, imply I have any kind of affiliation or endorsement or connection. So I don't, you know, I make sure nobody is confused that I have any kind of affiliation or, or connection. So I, I kind of took that literally when they said they they will allow it and they will have no, no concerns about it. I kind of took that li literally to think, okay, this means I can go ahead with my activity. They, they're not, they don't endorse it, but they're not going to oppose it either. So I guess, um, you know, Martin, we, we'll get you out on this. We want to be mindful of, of your time. You know, maybe, maybe Dan and I will have a conversation with Darren, who's a friend of the show over here, but uh, you, have, you have the XFL reaching out, the USFL. Maybe there's going to be a pickleball franchise that reaches out. You have all these names based in Washington, and you have the apparel market corner in terms of the classes of these particular goods. Um, I know that, that – uh, and this is with lawyers. This is the good and the bad part about lawyers. Part of, a, part of our job is to help uh, our clients make money. Um, there certainly seems to be a way to make money off this. I think it's daring you. Uh, right there. So maybe we'll have a conversation with Darren. But uh, yeah, I mean, this this seems to be a, a venture that you've done very well and you've carved out this niche. So I, I will say this. And, and as we kind of get out of here, the, the comments I see in the replies about you, Martin, some people call you a trademark squatter, which, you know, if you're you're good at predicting names, you're good at predicting names. People can call you whatever you want. Um, I would say in, in your defense, that doesn't seem to be what you're doing. I think you are certainly entitled to do it if you wanted to. Um, to Dan's point, um, there are comments that I see on, on social media that say if Martin McCauley is the guy that makes Washington change their name again from commanders to something else, we will elect this guy into the Washington Sports Hall of Fame. So uh, I want you to just be mindful that this Josh Harris phone call might come. It might come at some point. And that's not the time where I want you to be giving things away for free, Martin. So just, yeah, yeah. just put it out there in the back of your head. Martin, on, on that on that point, if you had been in um, you know an American League ballpark and caught Aaron Judge's sixty first and sixty second home run, would you have given it away for a nominal donation uh, to Native American causes? No, you're sitting on a on a intellectual property right that is worth millions of dollars, and a team ownership group that will have spent six point zero five billion dollars to buy the name. The branding is such an integral part of the team. Uh, why wouldn't you make a, a, a you know just a, a stronger stand on on demanding monetary compensation? Because I I don't I don't think anybody would blink at paying you half a million a million just for the rights to use the name. That's how valuable 
the name is, and you'd still be giving it away for a relatively low price. Why wouldn't you want to enrich yourself? Would you throw back the 60-second Aaron Judge home run ball? I don't think you would. We wouldn't. We would not. <laughs> Darren. Darren must be just dying here because not only are you foregoing a potential fortune, he's losing his potential upside. <laughs> okay, I'll keep that in mind. But uh, for now, it's the offer is still uh, they can have. You could feed the homeless. <laughs> you could you could donate you could donate millions of dollars or hundreds of thousands of dollars to animal rescue groups. You could do a lot of good with that money. Instead, you're letting a billionaire pocket a couple of billion dollars and keep it when they would probably be ready, willing, and able to pay you some amount that begins with seven figures or even high six figures to buy the right to use the name. Think of all the good that you can accomplish. If, if you really are thinking about it in terms of, you know, doing some public good here. Just, just keep it in mind, Martin. That's all. That's all we're saying. Just keep, just keep it in mind. Um, okay. Thank you. I'll keep that in mind. Sounds good. Um, Martin, uh, we really appreciate you joining us at Conic Detrimental. As uh, you know, as this thing gets uh, vetted out, you know, you know, uh, you know where to find us if you if you make the news headlines again. But we appreciate you joining us and uh, yeah, uh, and educating us on the world of sports trademark. So, uh, really appreciate it, Martin. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So that was Martin McCauley again. His book, Trademark Hog. You can find it on Amazon and wherever books are sold. Um, but yeah, I thought Martin was a, a good guest. Dan, I, I'm still kind of. Um, Maybe I don't know if the term is dubious, um, but I, I think he's leaving a lot of money on the table. And, and Martin kind of told us offline, you know, we asked why, you know, he's only trying to seek charity. And he goes, well, um, and I, I don't, we're not breaching any kind of confidence. But he said it's a kind of an issue with his, his office about uh, getting approvals and he had to get approval for charity. Uh, so, Dan, I, I don't know. Dan, let's let's pretend like you were Martin McCauley's boss or whatever firm, accounting yeah. firm he works for. Um what I don't know, I just don't understand. Like, this seems like so obvious that he's in a yeah. niche; he can make money off of it. Like, what what's to do here? It would be a, be a very, it would be a very easy conversation for me if I walked into the you know office of the general counsel of the company he works for, uh, so, who would be supposedly my boss, and I'd have to get permission from him to sell the right to the to the trademark for millions of dollars. It would be a very simple conversation consisting of two words: uh, I quit or f you. And I think, I, 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 you know, Martin seems like a sincere guy, but on the other hand, he's retained Darren Heitner. Darren Heitner, I don't know if Darren works for free, but Darren is sort of in the business of helping his clients maximize their earning potential, like all of us would be. And you're sitting on a, you're sitting on a, a on an asset, an, intele an intellectual property, right? That, you know, when you think about the the value of the team, the the right name could could be sold for you know a seven figure amount you you ha you have heitner darren you know darren heitner representing you you're, you're giving it away for a ten thousand dollar contribution to some charitable organization i'm not buying it i'm simply not buying it uh and i don't begrudge uh mr mccauley for maximizing the earning potential he might as well just come clean with it i mean if i'm a team I probably don't want to deal with the guy anyway, because, uh, you know, one of one of the one of the real important aspects of unveiling a team's name or a new name is secrecy. And if you involve too many people in the transaction, particularly strangers like like Martin McCauley, who have legal representatives, you're going to you're going to stay awake at night worrying if this guy is going to spill the beans.
right? You know, you, you buy the you buy the right to wolves and you're going to plan this big announcement. And then, you know, Martin McCauley tweets it out or tells a few people that this is going to be the name change. So I think that's the biggest impediment he's going to deal with. But it would be a bad business decision. It would be a foolish decision to allow billionaires to not have to fork over a few million dollars for a name that 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 Martin McCauley, I mean, he's devoted uh, years to collecting all these various trademarks. He's put in, you know, so many hours, spent probably tens of thousands of dollars, if not more. He should be able to, you know, you know obtain the fruits of his labor and to allow uh, you know, billionaires off the hook like this when there's so much good that he could do with the money if he really wanted to earmark it for charity. I would just I would just collect it for, for myself, but he has a choice here and he's walking away from a guaranteed seven figure payday for what I consider to be not a good enough reason. If you don't want to profit from it, fine. Use it for charitable good works. And nobody would would begrudge him that whether he whether he kept it for profit or kept it to fund charitable organizations. This is an opportunity for him to cash in on his hard work, his ingenuity, and his, um, uh, you know, just sort of prescience in being ahead of the pack in figuring out teams' names. He should be rewarded for that. Uh, I'm in agreement. So we'll, we'll leave it at that. Uh, maybe, again, a conversation we should have with McCauley offline, and maybe he needs some more pressing, but, you know, neither here nor there. So, Dan, that's, that's kind of it on the Washington side. You know, we've uh, been kind of uh, in this weird kind of sports world where at least, you know, I'm a big uh, basketball fan. I was hoping maybe the Knicks would make a run. They did not. They were dethroned by the Miami Heat. And then I had money uh, on basically anybody from the Metro division to make it to the uh, to the Stanley Cup finals. So that would be the Devils, the Rangers, the Islanders, all of which were vanquished. And now we have the Florida Panthers representing the East in the, uh, the final. So. South Florida seems to be a booming period of time. And I remember, Dan, once upon a time on the podcast, we covered the kind of Florida sports betting wars very closely. So I think it's probably a good time to revisit that uh, in light of recent events in the sports world. I think probably the the, the hottest era, even, even, even though LeBron played for the Miami Heat and Shaq played for the Heat, between what's going on with the Panthers in Miami on back-to-back days, I can't imagine the sports betting market would have been hotter, but but for this legalization. So I give it to you on that front. Yeah, well, putting aside sports betting, I lived through something like this 29 years ago when the Knicks, I was living in New York, when the New York Knicks and the New York Rangers both made their respective uh, sports finals. The Knicks were in the NBA finals where they lost to the lost to the Rockets in seven and the Rangers won their last Stanley Cup against Vancouver in seven games. And for roughly a two-month period, from mid-April to mid-June, there was an important Ranger and Nick playoff game played every single night, two months running. And the closest thing that has ever happened, the, the closest to that is what's transpiring and unfolding in South Florida right now, where you have the you know, Panthers and the Heat playing essentially on back-to-back nights for, for the same, roughly the same period of time. And as part of the scheduling quirk, there are going to be four consecutive nights in South Florida where either the Panthers are home or the Miami Heat are home. Um, so this is very exciting for, for a market like Florida, South Florida, which has always been viewed as a uh, s- sort of a snowbird area where uh, support for the local teams not named the Miami Dolphins has been very lukewarm. Uh, this has the potential to, to basically unlock what has always been missing 
from the Florida Panthers organization, which is really a rabid fan base. And I think Matthew Kachuk has been the straw that stirs the drink, at least when it comes to the Florida Panthers. But this is this has sports betting repercussions, too, as you pointed out a year and a half ago or almost two years ago. Now, Florida passed a sports betting law that would have allowed online sports betting and bricks and mortar sports betting to begin at some point in 2021. And it actually did start, but a federal court decision following a lawsuit filed by one of the tribes, Seminole tribes competitors ended up putting sports betting on the sidelines. And as a result of a court ruling, we haven't had any legal sports betting since November of 2021. The case is on appeal. It may go all the way to the U S Supreme court and it may be until 2025 until there's any final resolution here. But think of all the money. Think of think of all the South Florida sports fanatics who would have bet on the Panthers or bet on the Heat. And this court ruling basically took money out of their hands. They would have been on this legendary heater for all of April, May, and the beginning of June, where you can imagine what the market would have been like. It's almost like the, the, the new, couple of years ago when the Rhode Island lottery got taken to the cleaners because betters wagered on the New England Patriots and all the money came in on the Patriots, the same phenomenon would have occurred in South Florida with the heat and the, and the, and the uh, Panthers attracting big money and the sports books would have lost their shirt. Now they wouldn't have lost their shirt, but this was an incredible missed opportunity for the South Florida sports better uh, to line their pockets with the winnings from riding the Panthers and the heat all throughout the playoffs, multiple rounds. We're now entering the fourth round of each sport. And I'd hate to think of all the money that got forfeited here, or at least the opportunity to reap a significant amount of money from sports betting winnings out the door because of a court ruling from a year and a half ago. What's what's funny, Dan, I mean, I have a friend, uh, I have a couple of friends in New York, one of which has the Miami Heat to win the title at a whopping 45 to one odds. Uh, wow. And I know... I know another friend that bet uh, the Panthers before they beat the Bruins um, in the playoffs at 14 to one. Uh, so obviously, you know, those odds are, are much lower. They're in the single digits. So, yeah, uh, I'm with you. It's a missed opportunity. There obviously will be people that have bet on the Miami Heat out of state. But to your point, Dan, um, that's that's where those bets were going to come in. It's the well, ease blame, of which. Right. Let's not blame the court for this. Uh, I, I don't blame the court. I'm just. It just it just a, it's a what could have been. It's a fork in the road type moment for Florida betters. That's that's. Can you imagine what, what the parlay would have been if you would have picked? Okay, prior to the beginning of the playoffs, Panthers and Heat parlay bet to both win their respective league championships. That just would have been some ridiculous number. And uh, you know the sad thing about this is Florida. Florida it, it could become one of the top three markets in the United States for sports betting. It, it, it's the third largest population, but it attracts visitation and tourism to the tune of over 100 million you know, visitors annually. This would have been a gonzo sports betting market. And the only reason we don't have sports betting, in my opinion, I mean, I'm, I'm in this industry. I follow it very closely. The failure to legalize sports betting successfully does not land at the doorstep of a federal court judge. It's attributable to the um, greed of the Seminole tribe of Florida, which has wanted to control sports betting on a statewide basis. They want a monopoly. And Governor DeSantis gave the Seminoles outright control over sports betting statewide. Had there been some 
embrace of the opportunity to cut in all the stakeholders and find a more equitable competitive landscape, we would have had legal sports betting three years ago. And this would all be a moot point by now. So, you know, on one level, this is a byproduct of a of a legal question, but it also underscores the battles that often take place in state capitals between rival stakeholders over control of sports betting. And, and more often than not, the reason why sports betting bills fail to get over the finish line isn't because of a reluctance by lawmakers to pass bills. It's because of the undercurrent of competition and disagreements among the stakeholders as to how sports wagering should work and who should control it, who should have access to it. And I think Florida is a, a representative example of that debate. And this should have been done back in 2018, 2019. And the fact that we're in 2023, potentially waiting two more years is just uh, puzzling to me when 38 other states have already legalized sports betting. This is the third easily top three market, along with Texas and California, both of which are in the same position as Florida in that none of these states have been able to successfully pass a sports betting law, leaving close to one quarter of the country unrepresented for legal sports betting. We'll keep an eye on it. We'll see uh, if uh, those bets would have cashed. If Florida and or Miami do win, uh, you might have some angry people, angry people in Florida, maybe people that uh, could have yeah. uh, could benefit. But we'll see. Uh, Dan, um, between Washington, Florida, no shortage of sports law topics. Keeping an eye on a number of other stories elsewhere, be it uh, Antonio Brown and the Albany Empire, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo in uh, the Oakland Raiders or Las Vegas Raiders situation. Yes, no shortage of sports topics. Uh, Dan, anything else to add before we officially close the books on this episode? See you shaking no, your head. No? Yeah, so... I think we, uh, I think we covered a lot here. Though it basically became a Washington Commanders podcast, so we're joining the legion of Washington Commanders-oriented podcasts at least for one week, and maybe going forward, as long as this Dan Snyder saga remains unresolved, and that'll probably be the next big issue we cover. Um, okay, for all of us here at Conduct Detrimental, we will see you next time on another episode on Conduct Detrimental. 